0: Welcome to Fireside with VoxGig, a podcast for professional and aspiring public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of VoxGig.com, an online community for speakers and event professionals. We're here to help you get the most out of speaking, organizing, exhibiting, and attending. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your on-stage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. And finally, before we begin, a quick shout-out and thank you to SimpleCast.com, first and last word in podcasts. So kindly come on board as our first-ever sponsor. Dina London has made communication the cornerstone of her career. She spent 20 years as a TV correspondent with CNN, and regularly reported live from the White House. Now she runs the Language of Leadership, a company which trains Fortune 500 CEOs and other business leaders to become brilliant communicators. In our podcast, she reveals how to put on a great show by making sure your audience is always at center stage. Gina, welcome to the Fireside with Boxgate podcast. It is great to have you here today.
1: It is absolutely wonderful to be with you, Richard.
0: Fantastic. I'm going to start with a softball question, as you say, in the business of TV. Hey,
1: I played softball when I was a kid, so bring it on.
0: (laughs) Okay. So you are a, a fairly serious professional speaker and you talk at some really big industry conferences. So take us through the process from... You've got the gig. You have been invited to speak at, let's say, a really big airline industry conference. It's maybe six months out. It's going to be a new talk. You're keynoting. So how do you begin? How how do we go from day one to six months later when you're on stage?
1: Well, and this was your softball question. (laughs) Thank you for that.
0: You've done this before.
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. But it's not an easy answer in the sense of it takes a while to walk you through it. Because if I say, oh, it's two hours of preparation, that doesn't explain what that two hours is like. So if I want to unpack Mm. it, let me try to do it like this. Yes, yes. I speak at a lot of different conferences. I also have been doing this for more than probably 20 years at this point because I started learning about the mechanics and the delivery and the art of storytelling as a journalist at a college with newspapers and then as a television presenter and correspondent with CNN. So there's elements of... All of that that go into what I do now. Now, not to overwhelm people because we can pick out the elements that might be best for them where they are mm-hmm. in that timeline. But when you look at engaging an audience, there's a combination of the content. Let me break back it up. When you're looking at engaging with an audience, there is an element first of the strategy. Then there is the structure. And then there is the delivery of that structure. So, first, strategy. You use aviation as an example. So, all right, right away, I'm going to ask whoever that event planner is who's in the audience. What's your goal? What's their background? What's the theme? What do you want to achieve? What do you want those people to take away from your event? And then what role do I play within that event? Who's going before me? Who's going after me? How long? All those sort of logistics. But that goes into really making sure that the audience. Whoever it is, wherever they are, is front and foremost in my mind. Yeah. One. Two, what's the back to the goal? What's the intent? What do I want them to make sure, along with the goals of that event planner, what do I want to make sure that they can take away so they walk out of there going, this is something I can apply right now in my life or my career. That's got to be first. It can't just be information. because. And this is to vendors, this is to anybody out there who's trying to position themselves or sell something? We're always trying to sell something. But if it isn't something that people can understand, why it makes sense for them and make it that emotional decision around it first, and then backing up with the reasoning and the, or the rationale and whatever the proof points are, they're not going to be as inclined. So what's your intent? What do you want them to do? And then finally, then, I start looking into my pantry of ingredients of stories and message points and elements that will support that intent. Does that make sense?
0: That is fantastic. So let me just throw it back at you. So I I like the structure, strategy, structure and delivery. That's a big change from the way I used to do it when I was starting out, which was open up a PowerPoint and have a blank slide. (laughs) I was like, okay, what do I put on the slide?
1: And let's talk about that because you know what, here we are in 2019. And if I had a dime for every time I'm still seeing Template PowerPoints.
0: Oh wow. Full yeah.
1: of black and white print. There's 15 points on a slide. And this whole idea of let's use fewer slides, I don't know where that came from because all that is is a recipe for someone to cram more material on those individual slides. So you only have five slides, but they're jam-packed with stuff. And if I hear a presenter apologize for a slide.
0: Oh yeah.
1: I mean, no, no. <laughs> I apologize for it, Richard. It shouldn't be like that, right?
0: You shouldn't apologize for anything on stage, I think.
1: Well, you can be human. I mean... Yes, I, of course. We also, I think, sometimes in presenting land, if you get too hung up on, well, here's the seven ways that you must introduce them. You have to do your introduction this way, or here's the seven different closing styles. Or mechani- if you get too much into the rules, and if it's the mechanical stuff of it, then it is just mechanical. I mean, if your slides don't go properly or if the lights go off or your microphone doesn't work for a second or it shorts out and all of the above has happened to me, you don't have to act like, like you're completely not human and it didn't happen, but you don't want to make too big of a deal about it. People understand if, oh my gosh, my microphone just went out. Now you have to make a decision in a quick amount of time. Don't let it derail your thoughts. But do you need to take a moment and replace your microphone if you're in a really, really big audience and you can't project to overcome it? If you are in a smaller audience and maybe you just go with it and don't let it phase you. But I mean, again, you don't want to get so stuck in these maybe prescriptive ideas of what a presentation should or shouldn't be. Because I think that sometimes people get overwhelmed in that. Yeah. Back to PowerPoints and stuff like that. It's like the way to start first on anything. And this is for any communication event. And I do speak absolutely on keynotes and I facilitate a lot, but I also train and I also coach around communications at impact and communicating with the purpose. And the number one thing that is the change in your mindset on this is to put the other person's hopes, dreams, and fears in your mind first. You
0: work with a whole bunch of senior managers and CEOs. That must be kind of hard for them as well.
1: It's a change in your mindset. Yeah. Stop for a second and reflect and do a little bit of preparation. And it's funny because this takes me all the way back to when I was a kid growing up. I grew up in a little tiny town in farmland, Indiana. That's not the descriptor, Richard. That's actually the name of the town. Look it up. It's 1,235 people in Indiana, farmland, Indiana. Farmland, Wow. With an agricultural background like that, the thing that... You'll hear all the time is you've got to prepare your soil. You don't plant seeds if you haven't spent time to prepare the soil or they won't grow properly. And the same thing applies to a presentation or a meeting or a sales pitch or whatever. Spend some time with whoever your team is or yourself that's going to be making this presentation or pitch or one-on-one or whatever. And think, who are they? where are they coming in the room from? Are they traveling really far? Is this an international event? Is the, you got to spend some time thinking on the strategy first, because you're going to unturn stones that otherwise you wouldn't. And if you don't spend that time, you risk not landing your message properly. And the biggest thing about communications is that it's not about what you deliver. It's about how it's received.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You can think you've given a great talk this happened to me and you get feedback and and it it was actually going nowhere.
1: Yeah. I mean, gosh, I've seen people who have these real polished presentations, for example. I mean, they are slicker than, I don't know, an ice skating rink. And yet they're so they've memorized it perfectly or they've got all, but they didn't look into the audience's eyes and they didn't look to see if the heads are nodding or if the arms are crossed and people are looking maybe defensive. Like, and I'm not saying that a slick presentation can't be one that lands either, but to prepare and then be in the moment. So you can look and you can ask questions and you can maybe. Ask for someone to give an opinion from the audience, depending on how how the presentation goes and the size of the room and all those sorts of other things. But to be able to prepare enough that you're comfortable with material enough that you can then be offhand or ad lib or a little bit real, not a little bit, very real in the moment is critical.
0: You sound like you're speaking from hard won experience. <laughs> Could you take us back to a time when you were standing on stage and you didn't do this? You didn't prepare the soil, and you're standing there thinking, you know what? I've really screwed up.
1: Gosh, you know what? I can't think of a time that I, I mean, this is, I'm not trying to be, I can think of times where different elements didn't go as well as they might've like, you're going to talk, well, talk about this. Well, okay, like for example, actually I can give a great example. I, that I, I'm going to try again. I, Wanted to do and what we call in the biz we call a major effect. You've seen these before when they're, the presenter comes up and everybody in the audience is asked to perform a task, whether or not okay. it's exercise or if it's everyone's going to draw something on the paper. They're going to do. There, there's all a myriad of different. Things. And that's called a major effect. That's actually borrowed from from magic from magicians. Wow, okay. uh, It's not from TV newsland when I used to be in CNN. This actually comes from performance from magicians. If you bring one person on stage, it's a minor effect. If you bring everybody on stage, or not everybody on stage, but everybody's involved in a particular effect, that's a major effect. It's more powerful to do a major effect to kick off. Why? Of course, because it gets everybody thinking in a certain
0: way. Yeah. So this is the, I mean, can be as simple as everybody put your hands up if you use Microsoft. Yeah, that's,
1: that's the basic one. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's fine. I don't, my major effect I try to do typically, I've got a couple exercises that I love that have some gotchas at the end, which have a meaning. And of course, at the end of it, they have to have a meaning. Obviously, there's got to be a lesson learned or it doesn't make any sense. And sometimes I've I've watched people do these major effects where they have people, everybody, just stand up and they write a couple thoughts and they sit down. I'm like, "Mm, you didn't drive home why that was important Mm -hmm. for them to do that. It just seemed like a throwaway. But anyway, the the types of major effects where you just raise hands, that's fine. But I think it's more fun if you say, turn to your neighbor and. Say X, even if it's just something to get them talking. Or yeah, yeah. That takes a little bit of comfort that you can then corral the audience back to you.
0: Now, Gina, your TV skills have come into play here because you have successfully segued away from your own major
1: effect. That oh, didn't I'm going to get well. back into it. No, no, no. I'll get back into it. I did, I did go down the major effect level, but I blame you because you asked me. Oh, I did give you the other thing. Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's what happened. Here's my example. I, at a conference, Just real recently, in fact, I wanted to do a little bit of lesson about how we communicate to each other and how too often we don't ask enough questions or too often we're busy directing and you're not listening or we're not taking a moment to gauge the other person's opinion on whatever it is you're trying to deliver. Okay, that's Mm. the So what was my major effect? I, in my glorious wisdom, thought I will bring in enough juggling balls. You can see where this is Okay. All right. Yeah. You know, that, that's my first. <laughs> juggle, right? Okay. So I thought, I, and I did, I successfully ordered 350 sets of juggling balls. Oh, wow. They come in these little plastic baskets, these little net sort of netting things. Uh huh. Packaging is like a little netting. And I had them put out on all the tables. And interestingly, the event planner said to me, as we were putting them all along before the conference started, do you want me to cut them open and have them ready so it's easier to get out? I said, no. I thought this part, this much I thought through. I thought, no, don't do that because then they'll just be trying to juggle and they'll be fussing and we won't be able to get them focused Mm -hmm. on the instructions prior to opening. However, so I so that was my first I thought I was, hey, I scored. I figured that all out. And then I got into the setting and my goal was to have one person act as teacher and the other person act as the student. And I was going to give them a quick two minute time frame to kick off my lesson. And they would do this, this exercise and then we'd have some lesson learned. Now, it went off about 80 percent. Well, I would say it wasn't a total failure, just to put that out there. I didn't think about and I didn't plan and I didn't foresee that the three people who could juggle in that room. And I didn't put in my little preemptive clause that says, hey, who already can juggle before I Mm. let them open the bags? Right. And that was my mistake, because what happened was everybody else actually did do what I'd asked, except for the three hot shots who couldn't st- resist oh, of course not. juggling like they were in Cirque du Soleil <laughs> yeah, and making yeah. this total spectacle, which left their three partners out in the cold.
0: Oh, uh, yeah.
1: So it's a small thing. But what I like about this particular lesson is that, A, I tried something different. I got people doing something physical and fun and they had to keep afterward, which is also a fun thing. And then I also took a moment to reflect afterwards about how I could preempt some things and do things better. And that's how we grow as presenters, no matter what it is. I never want to hit a spot where I feel like I've got it down that I'm yeah. not anything to learn from because I think at that point you're getting complacent. Did
0: you do the juggling balls again?
1: I have that was just a couple of weeks yeah. ago actually. So <laughs> okay. stay, stay tuned. Yeah. We'll have to have another another podcast yeah. to learn how it's going. Okay, and.
0: okay. You're on. That's pretty <laughs> ambitious. There's always one or two who can juggle.
1: Yeah, well see that, yeah that's mm. what I would say that's an advanced move.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Do not try that when you're just starting off. You're probably a lot of your listeners if they're wanting to get into speaking.
0: Yes, yes.
1: The first thing, again, is to think about, I call this my AIM strategy. I was talking us through the audience intent message. It's got a little acronym I came up with, which stands for AIM, audience intent message. So first, ask your event planner what they want. Find out who your audience is. Identify their hopes, dreams, and fears. Come up with that intent and then craft a message. And the message, by definition, don't assume they get your theme. Tell them what it is. My message is, I hope you understand that. Use a nice trigger line to get people to to go ding, ding, ding. Here's my thing. I can improve my career, my life, my relationships, whatever it is. Make sure that you wrap it in a package that they know that this is it. Because people only remember about a fraction of what you say after you've said it.
0: That's a good question to ask, isn't it? What are they going to remember afterwards? Correct. Say it in one sentence.
1: Make sure you say it again. The last words you sh- say shouldn't be, well, thanks, that's all I have. That's all my time. And I hope you have yeah. you. Try to wrap. Make sure your wrap is as strong, if not stronger than your intro. Sometimes because of the time and the preparation and we get stuck into other things, I find my clients spend a lot more time on their introduction and they neglect a little bit of that powerful closing. Yeah. That's... A- Mistake. That's a real risk. Let's
0: talk about getting started speaking. Sure. And I mean we were talking about somebody who is probably relatively senior in the role and is now being asked as part of their work because they've developed a bit of professional knowledge and experience that they can share by their boss to go out and talk. When I've discussed this with people, people have different approaches to starting. Uh, you know, maybe you should start at like little meetups with like 20 people in the audience, or maybe you should try to get onto panels first. What do you think? What's the best way to build competence on stage, I guess.
1: You're right. The first thing is to say yes.
0: Okay. And the
1: first thing is, this is like having a baby. There's never going to be a perfect time. And one thing I also think is really super critical important, and this this is maybe the headline of it all. You are never not communicating. So do not put presentations in a little quote unquote air quote box and not become a more purposeful and conscious speaker in everything that you're doing. Because that's going to help you be a better deliverer or a better presenter or a better just conscious communicator that's going to help you be skilled for when there is a bigger spotlight. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, you've got to take it seriously as part of your job. It's it's not something you can shirk.
1: So even little things like let's say you're, I don't know, an IT programmer and you're working behind a screen for a lot of your time and maybe some supervisor, somebody comes into the room or maybe there's a visiting person from another like headquarters or something walking through and you're not the person that that's supposed to meet that person, but you, Mm -hmm. you, so you have a choice as a, and this is not to put people make them feel bad about themselves, but to say, this is the way we incrementally change the way you approach communication. So one scenario is the guy walks by and you say with your head in the computer, The other way is the guy walks by and you look up and you try to catch their eye and you say, good morning. Now that sounds like a small thing, but I know some clients, especially some tech professionals I've worked with, that was a big paradigm shift right there. Yeah, Come to that person and you say to them, now it's time for you to become a presenter. They're going to freak out because they are going from zero to 60 and it's too much. But if you work with someone who's an emerging leader or someone, and you start just saying little things like, here's our corporate culture. We talk to each other. We, Each person in our division gets a chance to present at the monthly meeting. These little safer things like you were talking about for 20 people, those can be opportunities to start to say, okay, how do I, if I'm trying to present to maybe make sure the marketing team's also involved, how do I take my tech information and put just a little sentence on top of it as an intro that tells them, here's the thing you need to know about this thing I'm about to say, as opposed to leave it at the very end. That's the, the structure of your content, restructuring it just ever so slightly in a monthly meeting can be super powerful. Then you can use what you've applied in that monthly meeting setting to the same type of approach if you're going to present to a bigger group.
0: Yeah, and those those internal meetings are sort of a test bed almost. You you can, uh, you can screw up. Or you can you can try you can, out new things.
1: Yeah, you can begin to smile when you when you start to speak
0: because the competition is going to be pretty low grade. Let's be honest, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, come on. Exactly. And sometimes. People get freaked out about the idea of presenting, Richard, because they go, oh, it's this whole thing. And I'm like, no, it is just becoming more conscious about how you speak all the time. Like when you if you want to practice just looking at the eyes and smiling for a second to in in an appropriate way to the person at the cash register or or the, the coffee shop. These are ways to start to just begin to be aware of the messages that you're sending all the time. And honestly, this is why sometimes people just talk about presentation. And I would like to push back and say we have to start thinking about becoming more human connected communicators all the time. Because the more technology that's coming in and replacing jobs, the more that these higher skills can't be saved for presentations. They have to be a part of who you are as um, employable human being, or you're not going to be getting the jobs out there anymore because the competition is going to be fierce and communicators are going to have the competitive edge.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I think this is a really Really, really interesting insight. We have a, a local coffee shop just down the road that I go to every morning. It was set up by two ex-software developers. And they, I, I, I speak to them, you know, because we're both business owners. So I speak to them and they hire because the baristas that they hire are people who can have a chat, who are friendly. Of course, they have to make a great cup of coffee. But the key skill they look for is that they can connect with their customers.
1: You look A plus, 100% you are going to find more and more and more and more companies are looking at a wealth of competencies and if those cvs are equal but one person comes in and interviews and can have a conversation and can ask interesting questions and doesn't have rote pat answers for questions but can tell a story or can illustrate something but doesn't tell a story that's so super long that they don't get a word yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all this emotional intelligence stuff is the definitive thing that's going to separate us between the robots and the people that oh, are engaging and collaborating and i mean that so sincerely and big caveat it is a learned skill and set of behaviors like any other competence
0: well i'm really glad you said that because that is a big message For this podcast, which is, this is just a skill. It's riding a bicycle. You can learn it.
1: Same way that you learn to walk and speak or play the piano or learn a second language is the incremental approach to becoming a purposeful communicator.
0: Gina, wildly happy. Yeah. It would be remiss of me not to talk to you or ask you about your time as a TV presenter. Because it's a related set of skills. Oh,
1: undoubtedly.
0: Super curious to understand how that communication works because it is public speaking of a sort, but you're using an auto cue. I, I don't know where to start in terms of questions.
1: Let me explain a little bit because you're right. When I was an anchor, as we'd say in the U.S., I was an anchor for CNN for a number of years. But before, and in addition, parallel to that, I was a field correspondent. I was a White House correspondent, and I was a breaking news correspondent, and that stuff is ad lib. Okay, there's yeah. no teleprompter, there's no auto cue that is rolling when you're in the field and you are doing 120 live shots in one day, which I have done. Wow. And that's the critical component right there. So, what am I doing? I am practicing and I am tweaking in every practice. If I stumble on a word in one, I have to do another one the very next minute. If I am getting a question and answer from somebody in the studio that I don't know completely right. And I have to do a little song and dance. I could do my research and get the next one. Right. I mean, there's so much that happens through the rigors of 24 hour news.
0: Oh, that must be a super stressful job.
1: It's stressful, but it's also a great learning environment to understand and yeah. learn skill.
0: And is it sink or swim? I mean, if you don't perform do today, they-
1: well, come on. I mean the competitive yeah. nature of TV news, yeah or any competitive field. I mean, I had I had I was told by management at one or maybe more points in my career, do not complain because there is a line around the block of people yeah. who, what you're doing for less. Yeah. And so it, but the great thing about it is that you learn to first of all, what's the hook of a story? What's the main point? What do I want to lead with. How do I you look at story construction like a set of jigsaw puzzle pieces that you can move really quickly. So you get quick.
0: Oh, yeah. And that is the key thing for doing a great conference talk, because I mean, this is one thing that drives me nuts about some speakers is they have a load of great information, but they don't wrap it up with a purpose or structure it so that it makes sense from beginning to end.
1: Well, and the structure way to approach it, it can be different. And I often say this to my clients, if you ever did... I don't know, in secondary school or high school, depending on where you're listening from, if you ever went through like literature, poetry, sort of like a couple of weeks on that module or something. And they'll talk to you about the format of a poem might be A, B, A, B is the rhyme scheme or another one might be A, B, B, A or C, D, A or something like Mm. that is you start thinking about it like little pieces. And the more experience you get, you go, all right, I'm not always going to start at the very beginning of the chronological of whatever that thing is I'm trying to talk about and really like boringly go through this whole chronological tell. Maybe I'm going to start at the very end and get people excited and then back into my story. Or maybe I'm going to start with, can you imagine a future and do a little story that way and then do my proof points. My point is there are so many ways to begin to construct a presentation. And once you get into the fun of moving things around again, like ingredients in a pantry and you look at your ingredients, you go, I could make this salad today. Or I can put these ingredients together and do a pizza for this crowd. Then you start getting, I do anyway, super excited about the different ways you can approach even one message for different audiences.
0: That brings me to my final question. um, And then we'll wrap up. But this one, it kind of harks back to the amount of travel that you've done and not just spoken in many different countries, but trained speakers in many different countries. And one thing that I always try to do, uh, perhaps not so well, is if I'm going to give a talk at a conference in Sofia in Bulgaria versus Austin, Texas, or London, I have to change the, the structure slightly. I know that in Sofia, they're going to ask me some super hard tech questions and I can't waffle and I can't hand wave mm-hmm. at all. I know in London, if it's not in the finance industry, it's not going to be that interesting. And you've got to have a bit of animation and a bit of a bit of zing if you're going to do some stuff in the States. <laughs> but kind of take me through some interesting cultural differences in terms of speaker expectations or the way that talking is done in different countries.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Well, if, if, I'll tell you one overarching thing is it's not in my experience. And I think it was good that you pointed out some of the nuances and things that I think is important to be culturally sensitive, obviously. But I also think putting that human element at the top, I find that, guess what, I do a lot of work in the Scandinavian countries Mm. and they're not all stoic. I've worked with German clients and the German, oh, let's put our stereotypes around how a, a German presenter or a German manager is going to want to be. This particular one I'm thinking of, his top three speakers that he wanted to be like or that he admired. We're all really lively American style. And I'm not saying an American style is the right style either. I'm saying Mm. it's the human style. I do a lot of work in West Africa and the Nigerians, for example, are so animated and they can be so really passionate and joyful. But guess what? They can do the same thing in Brazil or up in, in Toronto or, gosh, over in Tunisia. I've worked with some really interesting physicians there. And they're just as passionate when you get in talking about what they're doing. Now, that said, you don't want to come necessarily full guns blazing that right out of the and be too much slang. And you want to make sure that it's within that cultural kindness. And especially when you're speaking in someone else's country, do your research and find out. What movies are playing there or what's latest in the headlines there or what's something that you can localize? Did you eat the local food there? And don't be all gee shucks, especially if you're coming from like the UK or the States. If you're in another country that might be a smaller profile geography, do not make the mistake and presume they don't know everything, if not more about your country than you do. Yeah, because, you know, international. <laughs> well, exactly. It's an international world now. And people all around the globe know about Game of Thrones. It's not just oh, yeah. English speakers. It's every, it's everywhere. And these cultural references that maybe we used to think were precious to a particular country might not be if you're coming from, say, the U.S. or from the U.K., that sort of thing. But it's super important then, too, that like, I spoke in Prague a, a while back. And the first thing I wanted to know is. Who's like the Mickey Mouse of Prague? Or who are some of these cultural references that I wouldn't know, but it would be cool if I did and I should. And boy, did I learn a lot. And the more curious you can be, like you said, about your audience there, and then you make some knowledgeable references to them, that shows great care because you're the guest and they're the host.
0: That's a great way to wrap up, actually, because that kind of takes us right back to the start where it is about the audience at the end of the day. Gina, thank you so much. This has been absolutely fantastic.
1: My sincere pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of the Fireside with Voxgeek podcast. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgeek.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking. Selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other, and one you can also learn. Visit voxgig.com speakers to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this Fireside Chat, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email me, richard at boxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. And one final reminder to check out our sponsor, simplecast.com, who helped make this podcast possible. Till next time, remember, take a deep
1: breath, pause, and step forward.